Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Unexpressed Nintendo Podcast, the official Nintendo podcast of Goombastomp.com. I'm your host, Cameron Daxon. Joining us, we have games editor, Mark Kalaroff. Cameron, do you know what's worse than being hunted down by Emmys? Tell me. Having to review Nickelodeon All-Stars. But we'll talk about <laughs> it next week. Wow. Uh, next that's week. what next week. We call that a, a teaser for next week's episode, so stay tuned for that one. Also with us, indie games editor, Campbell Gill. I promise not to make another dread pun throughout this episode. <laughs> I don't. I would say don't make promises you can't keep, but I do appreciate that. Uh, and with joining us, we have a very special guest, uh, Goomba Stomp writer, former editor, uh, legacy alumnus, uh, Mike Warby. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. It's, there's one thing that's even worse, and that's being hunted down by the former games editor. Of <laughs> <laughs> he made it here. He made it here, and I everybody here should be afraid. You. <laughs> yeah, he's going to tackle us to the ground and shoot us with a big spike. I think that's how it works, right? Yeah, something like uh, We are here to talk about Metroid Dread. I think we should just jump right into it. Like, there's no build-up. This game's been on the on the, on the the horizon for the longest time. Uh, I've been playing it over the weekend. Uh, Mike, you reviewed it for the site, is that right? Yes, and I, 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 I was lucky to get it on a long weekend in Canada. I don't know if anybody else is in Canada, but in Canada we just had a long weekend. So I had a lot of time to sit around and play Metroid. So nice. I was lucky enough to, to have the game pretty much beaten by Monday. Not bad. That's incredible. Wow. That means that means you must have some serious skills because this game is hard as hell. Well, I like I like to think... Well, I mean, like, I'm a Dark Souls and I'm a Dark Souls guy, so, like... Oh, sure. Okay. I, All right. We get it. Okay. All right. And a Rayman guy and a Celeste. I like Celeste, like... <laughs> Hard as nails platformers and games that make me want to punch myself in the face are kind of like my thing. Nice. Yeah, I get it. Uh, <laughs> so, but we also have some people who are uh, not Metroid newbies, but perhaps less experienced. Uh, no, Metroid it's fans. it's my first Metroid, like first true Metroid. Oh wow, game. Ooh, that's a tough yeah. Metroid to come in on, bro. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Hope not. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope uh, I'll be able to get through it. I, mean, I, I imagine you will. It's, it takes a little dedication, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, yeah. Campbell, remind me again what your what your Metroid. You, you've played Super Metroid. Yep, Me- Super Metroid is the only game in the series that I've played all the way through gotcha. before this one. Oh, you guys so you never... are killing me here. You're killing yeah, me. Yeah, right. Is is that wild? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if so it that, makes you feel better. Prime's on my shelf. I think the Super trilogy. Metroid and, and Metroid Prime are literally two of the best games ever. Oh, hard. Yeah, absolutely agree. But that being said, so Mike, you are the out of out of the four of us. Um, I would say Mark being the the least experienced with Metroid, and you being the yes. most experienced. I think the rest, Campbell and myself, kind of fall somewhere in the middle with that. Uh, how are you finding Dread? What do you what, what are your like you know high level thoughts, bird's eye view? Well, what I what I really just loved about Metroid Dread is that it was a, it was like the throwback to like the what what like. One of the most important games in my entire life is Super Metroid. Oh wow! Because it was one of the first games that I ever really sucked me in. It was like Link to the Past and Super Metroid are probably the first two games that ever really sunk their claws into me and made me like, I need to find every secret. I need to do everything that I can possibly do. Because like, I mean, especially when you're a kid, right? You don't you, yeah. don't, you oh, don't yeah. get a new game very often. So when you get a game that you just like can't stop playing. It's just one of the. It just like it, it. It like sears itself into your brain. Like I could, you could start Super Metroid, and I could close my eyes, and you could say, "Hey, Mike, this is happening." I'd be like, "Okay, you need to do this." Yeah. Like that's yeah. how that's how embedded that that game is into my brain. Anyway, in terms of what I love about Metroid Dread, 
is that it, it feels like a modern Metroid game. Yes. That that feels like Super Metroid. I like Fusion and I like Zero Mission, but Zero Mission is like a two-hour game, and Fusion is really handholdy. So yeah. like they they have they have elements of the Metroid experience that I think make them very good games and still very worthwhile, like worth playing and stuff. But aside from the fact that they have the same gameplay style, the animation is kind of off and the colors are a little bit too bright. It doesn't have that deep, dirty, like brooding feel that mm-hmm. Super Metroid and Metroid Prime have. Like that's the Metroid I want. And that's the Metroid I got with Metroid Dread. Like it feels yeah. like, it feels like a genuine, like it, basically it's Bloodstained to um, classic uh, Symphony of the Night, for example. Like how I play, how I felt playing Bloodstained as a huge fan of Symphony of the Night, that's how I feel playing Metroid Dread in terms of, like, it feels like, as a fan of this, this is what I've been waiting for for, like, 25 years. Yeah. So, and it's interesting. So, like, I'm curious to hear, um, I know, Campbell and Mark, you've only put a little bit of time in, but yeah, I am curious to hear. An hour. Yeah, Same yeah. Here. I'd love to hear, like, what what are your first impressions with this kind of thing, especially as, as people who are perhaps less well-versed in the, the Metroid experience? Like, what, what are your, like... So, initial impressions at first i was having trouble picking up the controls but then sure. i swapped to a pro controller and all my problems were solved yeah yeah i don't Much i don't know if that's needed. a me thing or no that's yeah. an everyone thing the, 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 the level of precision you need in this game i tried playing in handheld mode for like a half an hour and i was like this is dog shit yeah <laughs> i could <laughs> i just couldn't i couldn't get it down i just couldn't yeah. and then i swapped to the pro controller and i was just you know like there's some it. precision <laughs> button presses like you need to tap l and r at the same time then hold this and hit a and then aim and like it's just there's too much going on in mm-hmm. metroid dread for handheld mode i will say as someone who's played the other mercury steam games the uh, castlevania lord of shadows series i've played through um almost all three of them and i have to say after Lord of Shadows, the original, I really like the original one. The Me two too, that yeah. came after, I'm not a huge fan of. I feel okay. like I never got to play Samus Returns, so I can't judge that game. But this feels like they had such a great leap from like those games to this. It feels this like they've is, learned so much. Samus Returns was, way, was, was tougher than your average Metroid game. So I think that's where this, like the lineage between classic Metroid and then like when they did that remake. Because... Me- that's when the they put that counter mechanic in. Like, there's never been a Metroid yeah. game that had that counter mechanic until Samus Returns. Yeah, um, Melee mm-hmm. has never. I mean, up until up until Samus Returns, Melee has never a factor in uh, in Metroid, Metroid games. games. Yeah, yeah. So that's where that mechanic comes from, and like a lot of you can feel, you can sort of see like the bones of this game in Metroid Samus Returns. If you mm-hmm. like, I imagine. Metroid's or Nintendo's gonna see how popular this game is and how much people are losing their minds, and they're gonna get some of those older Metroid games onto the Switch somehow. Oh, Mike, why would you say that? Why would you give? Why would you give me Nintendo here? I mean, oh man. But I mean, they have to, right? Well, it's funny. A lot of articles. A lot. (laughs) A lot of articles. uh, I, I see. I feel like I've seen a lot of news this week about how this this Metroid game, Metroid Dread, is the uh, like eclipsing every Metroid game in terms of initial sales, just in physical copies alone. They haven't even released like the digital sales yet. So it's like I feel like once you factor those in, it's it's definitely a uh, 
you know, it's one of those things that makes, hopefully, will make some people sit up and take notice. And apparently, it is driving traffic to those legacy Metroid titles. Exactly. Uh, so Nintendo's despite so them being not to capitalize, man. I, I would be amazed. Well, I wouldn't be amazed. I would be disappointed, but not surprised if Nintendo was like, huh, wow, I can't believe that people are going are logging onto the Wii U eShop and downloading these Game Boy Advance games. That's crazy. And then just never it's do It's crazy about that it. anyone would go on the Wii U eShop. <laughs> I have a Wii U. It's in my closet, in a box, collecting dust. I want to play the other Metroid games, but I'm not going to go through the trouble of Campbell, you know, I dusting will buy it off you. Out. I will buy it off you, my friend. Ship it well, over there here. Was, there was a rumor in the grapevine a little while ago that Nintendo is literally sitting on the Metroid Prime trilogy for Switch. And just Come on. I'm sure they to... are. That's They're probably going to... That's been going around for a while. Well, I, you know. <laughs> I don't have an uncle that works for Nintendo like the kids used to say <laughs> at my school when I was a kid. But <laughs> honestly, like that, like, if they if they really are sitting on it, then, you know, time's a wasted, boys. Let's get that yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, you got to ride that Metroid hype train. Because that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like... Uh, in in your review, uh, Mike, which is a, a great a great well written review by the way, really really holistic. Like you do a great job of tying in like here's kind of the series up to this point, and here's what this game delivers. Like I think you did a really great job of kind of tying Dread to previous entries in the franchise. I feel as though a lot of people who 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 look at this game are gonna be you know like Mark, like Campbell, people who are less experienced in the Metroid franchise. So it's like. It would be insane for Nintendo not to capitalize on that hype. You know, the hype is yeah. extremely high right es- now. You know, especially people who come in like, like your like like some of like some of the people who are like new to this franchise, like you mentioned, like people who are gonna who are just walking into this franchise are gonna be like, wait, what's going on? It's like coming into like Return of the Jedi without seeing the first two Star Wars movies. You're like, wait, who's that guy? Why are we here? What's going on? Like, there's a lot of like. We're setting, it's a lot of, like, it, it's its own story. But this, ultimately, yeah. this is like the end of an era. It's the end of a storyline. Like, that's how they've been marketing it, even. As yeah. the end of end of the saga. So, like, yeah. this, like, if you, if you come in and like the end of the saga, naturally you're going to be like, okay, but who's Samus? And why, where, why was she raised by bird people? Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that being said, um, I feel like it's worth just kind of digging in a little bit here. So, um, let's see here. So, this is, this is a, a 2D Metroid game, the first brand new 2D Metroid game in nearly 20 years, as as everybody has mentioned um, in all of their reviews across the internet. Yes. Uh, how what what do we what do we think about that? Do we do we think it's continuing with the legacy forward? Do we think it's like like how how are we feeling about two D Metroid? I think it's I think it's great personally, but uh, in general, what are we what are we feeling? I mean, it's incredible because I'm thinking back to some of the other games I've reviewed this year. Not long ago, I reviewed Axiom Verge two, and for ah, a long yes. time, Axiom Verge was the closest thing we had to a true two D Metroid, and Axiom Verge two represented an attempt to kind of diverge wordplay you know, partially intended, uh, diverge from that Metroid heritage and create something new in this kind of exploratory 2D platformer genre, right? Um, And now we have Metroid Dread, which is basically like a canonical, an official take on where to expand the Metroidvania gameplay style. You know, and really, I say Metroidvania, but it's honestly just Metroid, you know? So it's amazing to see both... um, 
independent developers, third-party developers now, turning this gameplay style into its whole genre and it's going into crazy new directions with Axiom Verge 2, with other games like Hollow Knight, eventually Silk Song, things of that sort, and now we have Nintendo back in the game as well. We're really in the renaissance with it, and that's something that's really been hitting me as I've been diving into Metroid Dread in its opening hours. Yeah, I think that's one of the conversations that I've been hearing kind of leading into the release of this game was kind of like, oh, well, you know, 2D Metroid, you know, there's only a handful of 2D Metroid games. Like, what could this game possibly bring to the table that feels new and innovative? And I think I think they did a fantastic job, uh, Mercury Steam and Nintendo, of, of, of both bringing new, what do you call it, like new mechanics to what this type of game can lead you to expect, and also just, like, delivering exactly what you want in terms of nostalgia. Like, Mike, what you said earlier in terms of this game being a throwback to Super Metroid, I 100% agree. Like, you're going to get lost in this game. Like, Mark, I hate to say it. You're, you're going to get lost uh, oh, in yeah. this game. I, I already know. Dude, I could you... barely get through Symphony of the Night without having to pull up a map for the first yeah. time. So. No, you're going to yeah. want it. You're, honestly, you're going to... like Unless you're fine with just randomly exploring for hours and hours, you're going to want to just check sometimes where to go next because mm-hmm. sometimes like you get a new item and then it's like, you're not supposed to go back to the previous area, but actually the area before that that you started yeah. the game in, and now that you have this item, you can go there and do this and get the next item. Like, if you're if you're trying to get through the game in a reasonable amount of time, like I was, because, like, I'm trying to review this game. Sure. So, I was, like, looking on, like, when I would get stuck, I would screw around, find a missile or something, and then I'm like, hey, time's a-wasting. Like, we gotta, I have to get this review done. So, yeah. you know. And Where's like, the next upgrade? Yeah. I yeah, will like, say it does. We've talked about this when we talked about Metroidvanias. Was that like that was like three or four weeks back? It was a, yeah, about three I, weeks ago. Yeah, I talked about how a lot of Metroid games they have what I like to call like that Metroid moment where it's like, what the hell do I do? I yeah. love how this game has like the glowing map that tells you there's a secret in the room because that way nice. I know I'm doing something right. Well, and mm. it's great because and I, I honestly, what a great feature! Like. Because it doesn't, it's not, it's not like the Ubisoft thing where it's like, here is the collectible, here it is. You just go, you know, like you mark it on your map, you go find it. It's like you get a sense of, okay, I know it's somewhere. I don't know if if I have necessarily the tools to unlock it. So it's like, do I try to explore it and see if I can find this, or do I like, you know, make a mental note of it and come back later once I have more movement options? You know, and it's like I think it's a great feature, and I, I hope they continue to. Uh, to implement that kind of thing, you know? And that really speaks to how effectively the map is designed as well and presented, where how I'm thinking back in Super Metroid, the map is grid-based, right? So if you had any sort of, like, indicator, that would tell you exactly, indicator on the map, that would tell you exactly which spot on the map you have to go to find the item. Whereas here, you can still see the outline of the map, you can see what it's supposed to look like, but you don't know the exact coordinates of where the item is hidden, right? You have this kind of this glowing icon around it, you have this silhouette that shows you that you do need to go here, but doesn't tell you precisely where to go. It still leaves you a little room to explore around. And I think that's great in both giving you just enough direction to see where to go, but also letting you explore, letting it be your own discovery when you do get there. Yeah. So uh, let me ask you, Mike. So do you find uh, that this game 
this is kind of a leading question. Do you feel, <laughs> do you find that this game uh, lends itself to similar forms of expression like that Super Metroid did, where you could like sequence break the hell out of it, and make it your own game? Like, how, how do you feel about that kind of aspect in this particular Metroid title? Well, I didn't do that really. Like, I would find I was most like I didn't find any of the items out of order, as far as I know. Sure. But I found I found like obviously a lot of extra um, missile tanks. Like, I'm a very um, idiosyncratic when I play a Metroid game and this kind of gets the best of both worlds like um you know like Super Metroid as you were saying like it has like the um it has like the dots on the map and you kind of know exactly where the secret is based on that whereas this is a little more vague and that's sort of like Metroid Prime Metroid Prime would pinpoint the room for you but it Mm -hmm. wouldn't tell you where in the room so you'd pull up your scan visor and look around and try and like, you know, parse out what am I supposed to do here? And that's kind of like, it's sort of like the best of both worlds in that way where it's not so vague that you're wandering around everywhere, but it's like not telling you exactly where to go. So I like I do like that aspect. And in terms of what you were saying about, you know, does this evolve the game? I think the way that it does is sort of by embracing the popularity of something else that's really popular right now. And that's Souls Likes. And like those toughest nails platformers. Basically, this game really embraces the indie market and what makes people like the games from the indie market and puts those things into the game of like a triple A title. Basically, that's what that's kind of my take on it. Is like because this level of difficulty was never a Metroid thing before this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you were not you. Were, there's no boss in any Metroid game ever. That you're fighting for like two hours trying to kill. Yeah, right. I've been, I've been, uh, I was thinking about it. Like the the most difficult bosses in Super Metroid, even even like you know Mother Brain, like even the final bosses, you can spam a few super missiles and kind of like if you have enough energy tanks, you can kind of just weather the storm. Mm-hmm. These these bosses in in Metroid Dread, uh, and we won't spoil too much, but right. they require a level of skill and precision that is. Not shocking, but perhaps unexpected. Yeah, like uh, people who are new to the series won't be as shocked by this as people who are, you know, longtime fans because they're like, mm-hmm. you, when you fight Kraid in, in like the original Super Metroid, that's like a pretty straightforward fight. You mm-hmm. know, he opens his mouth, you shoot a missile at it, and you're like, okay, that's his weak point, great. And you just do that until he dies. And this, you're like, holy cow, like it's the same basic idea of Kraid, but man. I died like three times fighting him. I'm like, wait, Kraid's supposed to be the easy one. Like, what are we yeah. doing? Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's That's a wild scary. boss fight. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't be scared. Don't well, yeah, be. In the original, in Super Metroid, like Kraid is like the is basically like the, your softball first real boss. There's like oh, a mini great. boss before him, but he was like your softball boss. It's like. Here you go. You can you can kill this boss, and that'll kind of teach you how bosses work in this game. And this one, he's like, yeah, it's quite a bit more intense. Yeah, it's a lot more intense. Um, okay, but I think it's great. Is it, is it a bad sign that when I played Super Metroid for the first time, I found Kraid to be pretty pretty challenging? <laughs> well, maybe maybe this game will be a bit much. <laughs> maybe it's of its time. Like I grew up in that era, so that's just how bosses were in that time. So. Like, maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe yeah, people... So I, you're not the first person who's mentioned, like, having a hard time with Super Metroid, so... 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's a super challenging boss, but I remember having a lot of trouble with, you know, the sheer amount of projectiles that you have going, you have the spikes on the floor, you know, there's a lot going on there to keep track of at once. So, I don't know, I'll be interested to see how Kraid is handled in, in Dread, though, and see if he gives me as much trouble, or maybe, because it's designed in a more modern way, maybe it won't be difficult in that same way, who knows? I've never fought a Kraid before, so... I'll give you my scoop once I get there. Know, hey, Kraid. Did you guys know what Kraid is? Well, yeah. Okay, well, I first found out what Kraid is. A crocodile. By, exactly. No, no by, by the background gi- in Melee. No, he's a giant He's a giant space pirate, which I never knew until this what? week. What? Wait, he is? Yeah, that's. I literally never knew that until this week. But once I heard that, I looked at him, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's got the same eyes they have. That is crazy. I wouldn't in even call that a... Yeah, in terms ahead, of the legacy. Ahead, no, yeah, sorry, yeah. in terms of the legacy. Like I am a Metroid superfan and I didn't know that. But I was reading an article about the Kraid boss fight and they were like, you might remember Kraid as the giant space pirate from Super Metroid. I'm like, wait, what? That <laughs> like, is incredible. Well, like how does that even work? He's so much huger or so bigger than everybody else, <laughs> every other space pirate. But that pirate. explains why he's restrained. Oh. Uh, he's like an go. experiment, See? right? But that's yeah. the thing about wordless storytelling. If you don't pick up on the cues, and as someone who's played Super Metroid like 50 times, I didn't pick up on the cues, so, you yeah. know, I can't blame anybody if they didn't get it. Yeah, let, actually, I just thought he was a bring, giant crocodile. <laughs> you bring up a you bring up Mark. a great you bring up a great point, Mike. The uh, the environmental storytelling, the the wordless storytelling in Dread is particularly good. Um if you're paying attention to stuff going on in the background, this game has kind of a 2.5D, 3D mm-hmm. art style where you're moving on a 2D plane, but the backgrounds are in 3D. And there's stuff going on in the background that's like, oh, shoot, like that's that's going to be relevant later. Like, very cool stuff. Um, it, I, I thought the storytelling of this game was, was very effective. Uh, it adds a lot I, of I, dimension I, to the world, like a lot of dimension to the world where you feel, you really feel like you're on an alien planet. Yeah, the, the the one part where I think it kind of falls flat in terms of storytelling is the exposition dumps you get from your AI companion, Adam. I did not love that, to be honest, but uh, understandable, yeah. you know, it's, they got to tell the story somehow, you know. I was going to ask, Samus, is he yeah. from like another Metroid game or is that a new yes. character? That's a, that's a Metroid Fusion thing. Um, they explain in Metroid Fusion that Samus once worked under the direct control of the Galactic Federation. Like, now she's a bounty hunter for them. But she once worked directly under them. And Adam was her commander at that time. And then mm-hmm. Adam passed away in the backstory of Metroid. And then his AI was used for um, Galactic uh, Federation computers as, like, a prototype for the computers. Got right. It. Okay. So that's that, something that's like Metroid Fusion stuff. Anyway, that's where mm-hmm. he comes from. And while we're while we're on the topic of story, the uh, the opening cutscene that gets you caught up on the last four entries is just like perfect. I it thought it was great. It literally so gets efficient. everything done. And that's so not to mention just the yeah. fantastic arrangement of Samus's theme mm-hmm. that goes yeah. along with it too. It's really great. Just when that baseline kicks in, it's just a magical feeling to be like, we're back. Metroid is fully back and it's real. This is official. It's amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a good feeling. I love that intro. Uh, and again, as somebody who hasn't played the, uh, I I never played Fusion. I never got around to it. Um, so so getting a nice little summary of like here is what the X Parasite is was extremely helpful. I thought 
and just kind of gave a great little 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 summary of like here's why Samus is a badass. Here's why you should care about what's going on. And it, I thought it did a great job. Well, by the end, I'm not going to spoil anything because I wouldn't dream of doing such a thing. But by the end, this is such a perfect um, cap on the storyline that that fusion began. Like, where, where Samus gets infected with the X-Parasite, and the Metroid DNA goes inside of her to combat the X-Parasite, and yada, yada, mm-hmm. yada. Like, where this takes that story, by the end, I couldn't believe the big... There's a big thing that happens at the end, and I'm not gonna even try to infer what that is. But it's pretty... This game goes pretty wild in terms of... Um, it goes wild enough that you really aren't sure what the next game is gonna be now. Yeah, so so that's okay. So we should we should talk about that. So they have uh, uh, Sakamoto has been uh, Yoshio Sakamoto, the the creator of Metroid, has been pretty pretty explicit about like this is the end of the Samus saga. It feels though, with this game coming out and being a smashing success, that's got a bit of an asterisk on it. What do we? I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you think, Mike? Do you, do you think there's going to be another two D Metroid game? There, um, there will absolutely be another two D Metroid game. Not the not the least of which is the fact that this game is selling crazy and it's being hyped as one of the games of the year. Like, mm-hmm. like obviously, there's going to be another Metroid game and another two D Metroid game. It's just a matter of how the story will evolve based on how this game ends. Like, and based on the sort of things that begin to happen at the end of this game. It's just a lot of information gets dropped at the end of the game. And it kind of makes you rethink how this world is going to evolve. Or how this this universe, um, the Metroid universe, is going to evolve from here. Because it feels like there's a lot of different ways they could go. It's kind of like how Breath of the Wild did with um, Zelda. Like, once, yeah. once you open up this whole new different kind of uh, world... For this character to be in and that's kind of how this game ends it really feels like it could go a lot of different ways you could just get your next game that's just a, tr- a traditional metro game or you could get something that's a, that's way different so and like i said i'm being as vague as i can without you know alluding to kind of what what occurs yeah, and uh, I, I'm sure that the people, you know, I'm sure that the the Metroid fans listening at home do appreciate that. Uh, but I do agree with you that some of the story implications of the the latter third or so of this game are truly, truly interesting and genuinely intriguing. And I'm very curious to see uh, how they carry, you know, any of these ideas forward into into subsequent games. Um, that being said, uh, I don't know, man. What, like you, you're you're the guy who reviewed it for the site. What's something that you like absolutely loved about Metroid Dread? Well, kind of like I said, it's the 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 crank up in the difficulty here. Mm-hmm. While it can be frustrating, it's very satisfying. It's like the kind of boss fights that I love, where you walk in and you get the shit kicked out of you the first time. <laughs> you get like you get laid out like. There's like a lot of the bosses in this game can can clean your clock in like five seconds if you're not careful, and you're like, "What the hell just happened?" Yeah. And then you come in and you come back and you come back a few times, and then you're starting to get the mechanics down, and then you get that slow climb up where you where over time your confidence level increases, and then suddenly you've got it. You've got all yeah. the patterns down, and then you just ice them. 
Like, yeah. there's the there's the Chozo fights that happen in this game. The first one, you're like, what's happening? But after yeah. a couple of them, they you start to just get like, okay, here's how these fights work. And even though like this is a different kind of Chozo with a different weapon, or now there's two of them, or whatever, you get like the first couple of Chozo fights, I got the crap kicked out of me. But mm-hmm. then like I got a Chozo fight, like the third or fourth one, where there's two of them. And I got the first try. And I was like, okay, yeah. I'm starting to understand how these fights work. So, like, now that I get what's happening when these fights show up, I'm not, like, so freaked out, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think you... I can't remember if we mentioned this off mic or uh, during earlier in the show. But uh, we, you did throw out, like, a, a Dark Souls... Like, you're a fan of the Souls games. And uh, I think this game does have a, a share a little bit of that DNA in terms of... You know, you're trying, you're trying, you can't fight the boss, you can't figure it out, you can't beat these Chozo, and then all of a sudden, you do it without getting hit. Like, you don't even take a blow. Like, something will click inside your brain at a certain point, and it's just like, oh, I have this. And it's 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 a it's an incredible feeling uh, when it when it does happen. Um, so I'm I'm glad that uh, you know you got to that point because <laughs> I imagine it would be a, a much different review if you were not able to uh, to achieve those those skills. Well, there is one thing I don't like about it. We don't have to talk about it now. We can get to it later. But there's that's one ele- there's one element that I also thought was a bit much. But that, like I said, we can get to it now, or we can get to it later if we're to, like, gonna like switch gears later. Now listen, talk about it. What's what's the what's what did you think was a bit much? The only thing that drove me nuts, and I've been talking about this a lot in our um, private conversations on our little network we have to the side, um, is the shine spark puzzles at the end of this game. Oh sure. That was driving me insane. Because I'm yeah. a I'm an OCD guy. I literally... I know people... Some people say, like, oh, I have OCD. But, like, I literally have OCD. So, sure. <laughs> like, I want to get the 100% completion in this game. Yeah. And trying to do it was, like, making me want to pull my hair out. Because yeah. I, if, if you're a big Metroid fan, you'll know what a Shine Spark is. But if you don't, in, in Metroid games, there's something called the Speed Booster. And when you get that item, if it's if it happens to be in that particular Metroid game, it speeds up Samus's movement to the point where she's running at like hyperspeed. And then while you're doing that, if you push down, you can store that energy into her body and then use it to like propel her somewhere in like one direction or another. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a complicated maneuver. You don't. I don't know if you. I don't think you need to do it at all to beat the game. But I don't think I don't think of, you do. If you're trying to get 100% completion, like you just said, then you yeah, absolutely yeah. have to master it. But I think in terms of like just making it through the main story, I don't think you have to master that maneuver. Yeah, I don't think there's any shine spark in the main. Like if you're just going through the campaign from A to B, I don't think there's any shine spark in there. So you don't have to do it to beat the game. So it's not like a heavy criticism where I'm saying like this is brutal. But as someone, if you happen to be someone like me who wants to get everything who wants to check all the boxes, then that's going to be annoying for you because some of the Shine Spark puzzles require you... There's one, There's two different Shine Sparks I saw that require you to Shine Spark, then hold the speed boost from that Shine Spark, then run to another spot before it runs out, then Shine Spark, and then hold the speed boost from that Shine Spark, and do that like three more times without Damn. losing... And, it, and, it, and so it's like, it's like 10 screens away from point A to point B, and you have to be like a hundred percent precision to get, and it's like, it's just a little much. 
that they for that. Yeah. But I mean, that's my only real complaint about the game, and it's like a it's like a asterisk complaint because you don't have to do it. Yeah, it's one of those things where if you're if you are trying to get those those secret completion bonuses, you're trying to get the the one hundred percent bonus screen. It it can be very very tricky. Like it's it's hard because like how do you judge something like that? Like the, obviously they intended it to be very difficult, but maybe they should have knocked it down like just one or two notches. Because it, it's My, it's I've I've watched some of the some of the speedrun yeah. stuff on YouTube and like it's crazy the precision required. You know. My feeling is that they they intended that they might get some flack based on the fact that this oh, is sure. a full priced game. Right. And it's a 2D throwback to begin with, which there has been a lot of, let's call them goobers, saying that this isn't an $80 game. <laughs> and they're trying to compare, like, Metroid Dread to, like, God, they're like, here's your PlayStation $80 game, and it's like God of War. And it's like, here's your $80 Nintendo game. And it's like, okay, well, these games are both good games, and they're both clearly trying to do very different things. And so, like, trying to compare them as if they're, like, it's just, it's just, like, it's like the dearth, the death of, of, of criticism. It's what it's a, such a stupid comparison to make. It's like comparing Mulholland Drive to the Big Lebowski. It's like, what are we even doing? <laughs> you know? But yeah, anyway, like, yeah. if my feeling is that they were, they were anticipating a certain level of criticism based on the length of the game, which is long, more like Metroid Prime length than Super Metroid or Metroid Fusion length anyway. So it's already mm-hmm. like at least a 10 to 15 hour game. Which is perfectly reasonable for a AAA title. Yeah. But I, I, that's my feeling as to why they went so hardcore on those. Was to kind of like give give the game a bit more uh, of a runtime in sure. terms of value. That's that's just my guess. Like nobody's come up and said that. But that's my feeling as to why they went quite so far with some of those. Yeah, it's and it's tricky. Like we've we've had this conversation a few times on the show about like what what you know what does. What does a full price game? What should a full price game entail? What does that mean? What does a game being full price mean? Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to delve into that because it's it's a it's a pointless conversation. But uh, I I do agree with you in that I feel as though some of those complaints are perhaps misguided uh, because you know it's what you just said. This is a <laughs> this is a first party uh, Nintendo game and it's very very good. So at the end of the day, it's going to cost what it's going to cost. It's a good, it's a good game. Yeah, I mean, um, nobody was talking about this when Wind Waker came out a year or two right. ago, right? Or not Wind Waker, excuse me. Um, Scott what was the remake? No, the remake. Uh, oh, Samus Returns. No, no, no. Hold no, on. you're talking about uh, Link's, Link's Awakening. Awakening. Link's, oh, Awakening. Link's Awakening. There it is. Oh. There it is. <laughs> I, like a, 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 like a basically, a, basically a, a, a slightly touched up, better version of a classic game, and that was yeah. eighty dollars, and nobody was like doing these it's because the hype and then you have these i don't want to call them well i'm going to say they call them idiots people who are obsessed with proving which console is better than the other one idiots because it's yeah i'm just going to call them idiots because it's (laughs) like idiotic goobers yeah you can just enjoy what you enjoy and it's fine Mm -hmm. like it doesn't like star wars doesn't have to be better than lord of the rings and vice versa you can just enjoy what you enjoy and then go about with your life it doesn't have to be about whether PlayStation is superior to Nintendo or whether Nintendo is superior to Xbox. Just buy the game you enjoy and play it, and then you can just, like, I don't know, man. It's a weird, it's a it's sounds, weird time. It's, it sounds like Mike is trying to reignite the console wars on this very podcast. Uh, that's, I'm excited uh, <laughs> to do it. 
Uh, about time, to be honest. Um, yeah. That said, uh, uh, Mark uh, Campbell, Mike, anything else we want to say to kind of sum up our 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 Metroid Dread experiences so far? I've only played an hour, but it's real good. That, that's all I really got to say. <laughs> As I, another you know, person yeah. who has played an hour of this game, I can confirm that remark. It's really good so far. I would say right. dreadfully good, but I made a promise at the start of the show not to make a pun like that. So I'll say it's and really yet, quite and delightful. Y- and, and yet, in saying you're not going to make a pun like that, you have in fact made a pun mm-hmm. like that. It's the never say never paradox, you know. <laughs> uh, Mike, Campbell, before you, wait, 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 one more one more thing before our next segment begins, Campbell, you have one pack pun the entire show. I'll give oh, wow. you one pack pun. One like only last, one. Yeah, Cameron gave you one pack pun last time. So we're gonna give you one oh, pack pun this time. Do I need wow. to make so, this now, so, or do we need? Do I need no, to spend no, no, our intermission it. to prepare? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Prepare, prepare. Gotcha. All right, I'll make my preparation. So uh, before we dive into that, uh, Mike, what any any summary thoughts you have about Metroid Dread before we uh, take a quick break and move on to our next segment? Just that I'm not sure this is. If you're somebody who who wants to get into the series. I'm not sure this is the best place to start. It depends. Whether that is the case or not kind of depends on whether you're somebody who wants to come into the story like late and whether, you, whether you're the kind of person who likes a game that's going to kick your ass around a bit. It's too late for me. Yeah, because those are the things. <laughs> like, that's all. Like, it's a great game no matter what. And I think even if you haven't played the old ones, it's still going to be a good game. You're just going to be... You're just going to be like having question marks above your head a couple of times here and there. But otherwise, like, I'm just not, I'm not sure this is the best entry point, but if you want to, by all means, you know, that's, that's my only caveat I'll add to it. It's a great game though. Hand, hands down, great game one way or the other. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. Uh, so make sure you check out Mike's review on the website. Uh, Metroid Dread is a, what do you call it? A, a meaty, satisfying adventure or something like that. Uh, which I wholeheartedly agree with. Tense, it's, it's... tense, meaty, and massive. See, that's the thing. We didn't talk about the Emmys. And we don't, I guess like, it's oh a little God, late Oh, my God, we didn't even that. talk about the Emmys. Yeah. It's a little, I guess it's a little late. These these guys probably haven't gotten to the Emmys yet. Um, or if they have. Well, yeah, we've seen. Two of them. Yeah, you get to see oh, one at the beginning. I'm sorry, yeah. there's one right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Actually, sorry, <laughs> I know we were just wrapping up this segment. No, 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 please, in, yeah. In terms of the 2.5D, when it gets to the point where you have to kill... The Emmys, that rules, man. Such screen, a cool yeah. moment. Oh, it's the very screen, good. The way the screen shifts into like the like this weird 2.5D um, purgatory. It's so weird because yeah. it feels like it, it feels like you're playing a 2D game and a 3D game at the same time. It's hard to yeah. explain to somebody who's who hasn't seen it yet. But imagine you're playing a 2D game. And then you aim, and and suddenly the camera shifts, so you're like standing beside Samus, and you're looking into a 3D space. It's really jarring at first, but when it comes to fighting the Emmys, each Emmy get, has different moves and different um, abilities that the other ones don't have, and each one you're fighting in a different environment. So those, how those fights change, and how tense they become, become it's it's that is one of the most interesting uses of that kind of thing I've ever seen. Because usually 2.5D is only ever used to add dimension to the map or something like that, or dimension right. to the world. But to see it actually implemented into the game and and how like 
the gameplay actually works. That's something I've never... I, I can't think of a single game I've ever seen that in before. And it's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, it's, uh, it's extremely unique, especially to... I mean, I know they did a little bit of that with Other M uh, in terms of shifting the camera perspectives right. as you were... But it's but, but that it's would not... go from 2D to 3D. Yes, so it's a little a little different in in this case. The camera will kind of like shift behind Samus's shoulder as she takes aim with her Omega cannon to take out these enemies. It's extremely cool and very satisfying to to uh, to to attack and fight and defeat an enemy. I, I Especially totally after you've been running from them for so long, it's really it feels... satisfying to just ice them. It feels incredibly good, and I, and I think maybe this is maybe this is where we wrap it up here. Is that the the portrayal of Samus in Metroid? Oh Red, my god, so badass! Uh, at any given moment, she's stone. She's a stone cold killer in this game. It's oh. it's so good. I've never seen it. Like Samus has always been known as like the badass bounty hunter, but this is the first time where you really felt it. Like. Yes. There's a there's one boss fight where she dodges like after you beat the boss there's usually a cutscene where you watch Samus finish the boss off. Right. And there's one where she jumps. It's like chasing her around and it chases her around into almost like a spiral and then she leaps through the middle, like blasts its head off and like just turns and watches it drop and it's like that <laughs> rules. Like it it's, is like it's Whoa. so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's true. It's like, yeah, you're always kind of, especially in Metroid Prime, in the in the Prime trilogy, you're always scanning like data logs from space pirates who are like, oh my god, the hunter is here. Like, what are we gonna do? But this is one of the first times where I really felt like, yeah, she's unstoppable. She's like, she is a a major threat to this, you know, to any hostile life forms, and it's uh, it's very cool to see it in action. I I hundred percent agree with you, Mike. You can see why she's number one in the galaxy. Yeah, it's uh, it rules. <laughs> um, and you guys will see what we're talking about uh, another time. It's it's extremely. I mean, good. she's already she's already doing crazy shit already. Yeah, like at the opening, <laughs> like the huge guy in front of her, and then she just starts shooting at him like bold That's move. That's so awesome. Is <laughs> oh, the yeah. non how unflinching she is? Like right. She well, and I love that, that she. It, go ahead. Go ahead. No, she just she just doesn't flinch. It's just yeah. wild. Like this is. Like, because this is, like, canonically the furthest game in the timeline, it feels super appropriate for it to be the most badass version of Samus, too. Because it's like, this is the Samus from Metroid, and the second one, and Super Metroid, and the three Metroid Prime games. And, right, yeah, she's been uh, there, yeah. And Other M, if that's still canon. I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> Doesn't oh, really matter. Still canon, yeah, yeah the, the, less, the less said about that, the better, probably. But in any case, this is, like... This is the Samus who's been through at least ten other adventures or whatever, right? So right. it feels appropriate for her for this to be her at her absolute apex. Right. Well, I think I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Like, not not only is she in in cutscenes and in gameplay the the apex. I think we can I think we can safely say that that Dread uh, feels like, if not the apex of the series, certainly a high point of the series. Top three, um, I'd say, yeah, top three. It's it's certainly up there. Um, it's well worth your time if you want a challenge, if you want a great uh, Switch exclusive that will test your metal, and also just you know intrigue you and uh, you know you want to support future games of this type. It's it's well worth the time. I, I would uh, 
encourage everybody to give it a shot. Um, that said, we should probably take a short break. We've been talking for 40 minutes about this game. Uh, so let's take a quick break. We're going to come right back, and Mark's going to talk about uh, a great non-video game. Well, hold on. Wait, how do I how do I frame this? Uh, Mark's going to talk about a book, and that's it. <laughs> let's take a break. We'll be back. <laughs> So, uh, Mark, you just put a review out on Goobastomp for an incredible-sounding uh, coffee table book about uh, the legacy of Pac-Man. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know, Pac-Man has been having, like, a fantastic secret year. And probably because of COVID, Bandai Namco's plans just, like, absolutely fell apart for his 40th anniversary. But the sure. Pac-Man content we've just been getting is just awesome. Just everything they've been putting out. It's like the best Pac-Man's been in like a decade. So um, one thing they released uh, this year was Pac-Man Birth of an Icon from Cook and Becker. And it was written by co-authors um, Arjun Terpestra. I hope I pronounced that right. And Tim Lapizino. I don't know if that's pronounced right, but they're from the Netherlands. Yeah, so they did a history book about Pac-Man. And it was about how he basically changed contemporary culture, or rather how the original arcade game just changed culture in general. And it is just such a fascinating, like, archival work of everything Pac-Man from the early 80s. There are, like, pictures of people who made the first ever, like, Pac-Man Halloween costumes. You have a history of all the different cabinets how Midway got the license to get Pac-Man overseas and the troubles they had changing the name and just Toro Iwatani and everything about him. And they even put his guide, like the original Pac-Man method guide that he invented and wrote, that's even like in the book. There's just so much content just stuffed in here. And it's honestly amazing how much they put into, I think it's almost 400 pages. It's definitely over 300. Wow, but really? It is just there's so much in here to just get lost in for hours and it's so great it's like it's a divide between interviews texts and images and just all three just it contextually and visually is just like 
gorgeous. Just everything about it. Yeah, I uh, if you if you check out Mark's review on the site, he, he includes some. Uh, are they are they screenshots of the book? Or are they scans yes, of pages? They're, yeah, they're direct scans from uh, yeah. Kirk and Becker. Yeah, and uh, like they're incredible. Like they they, they do a, a great summary of uh, the the one that sticks in my mind is. Uh, there's the a picture cans. of the spaghetti cans. Literally, yeah. I was about to say the spaghetti cans. <laughs> um, they do a great job of kind of giving a little context of Pac-Man fever, man. It's like, it's it's incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I love these kinds of books because they, they, do, a, they, they do what you just said. Uh, provide a little bit of history. the history of yeah. the history of not, not just the game and the development of the game, but like, here's what life was like in the 80s when this game took the world by storm and i think that's incredibly cool and very unique Mm -hmm. and it's very it's just it's a whole for you know namco hasn't really had the right year to celebrate pac-man and this feels Mm. like the ultimate celebration like this thing really goes out of its way to say like pac-man is like an icon and this is why you should care and here's how he changed culture just in general i mean from arcade cabinets you know how it was like one of my favorite parts of the book. And you may have seen this in the television show um, high score on Netflix, but it was like, how can we make people just go to the arcades more? And it was like, well, you have to make it so that way it's addictive. So that way it's basically like a quarter swallowing machine for hours on end. And it like talks about that. And then it goes into a design and how he was originally called puck man and how they changed it to Pac-Man and then Tori Ratani talks about how he was looking at a pizza and he was like, I want more female, you know, just because most males were playing games at the time. And he was like, well, how could I change the table? And, you know, he did turn the tide. He created a character that just everyone could love. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. So so let me ask you, do, do you know, Mark, uh, I, I didn't look this up beforehand, so I apologize if I'm speaking out of ignorance. So mm-hmm. the authors of this book, uh, what's Arjun what's their thank you? Uh, what's their connection to Pac-Man like in general? Are they just like super fans? Are like what's what's the, what's the what's the deal? That is a fantastic question. I mean, the piece isn't you know the whole book isn't from their like personal perspective, even though they sure. conducted the interviews and stuff in the book. So I don't know the exact details, but clearly they were fans and they went way out of their way to include everything. I mean, like, you know, like if you get Toro Iwatani's guide to Pac-Man translated for like the closing chapter of the book, like that's just dedication. Like it was so unnecessary, but it's so cool that they did that. And just like, you could tell that they asked the right questions in the interviews because there's so much new information in this book. It doesn't feel like something that you could just find on the internet. It feels very original and just, draws in a lot of interest i think i think it's funny uh, sorry i just think it's funny you mentioned high score which anybody who's even remotely curious about this should go watch but the reason they didn't use the term puck man is because they know they knew that people might um you know yeah obscure (laughs) obscure certain aspects of the word yes well i mean it's literally (laughs) like if you think about how close a p is to an f like it's yeah. so easy. They just, you would just have to. You don't even have to change it. You can just shade out part of the P. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, so they, much, uh, yeah. yeah. They, the, the people from Midway that they interviewed, um, and if you didn't know this, Midway was the original provider for Pac-Man Arcade Machines when it first debuted. But they talk about how when they brought it over to the States and just the West in general, they were like, mm. this name is not going to fly. Like, we got to change it. That was like one of their biggest concerns. Yeah, rightfully so. I mean, it's a bunch <laughs> of yeah. Who hangs out at the arcade? A bunch of teenagers. <laughs> Yeah, so. I think that was uh, clearly clearly the right call. Uh, but there's just really a lot fun. of there's a lot of cool content in this book that you wouldn't expect to find. Like you just mentioned before, the Pac-Man spaghetti and soup cans. Like that's so cool that they put like all the commercialized Pac-Man work and they put it into this book. And the images are just so high in quality. Just the entire book, the just the way the pages were printed and everything. It's just so. It's just, it feels premium. This feels like a true celebration for Pac-Man, which is what this a, year should have had. I think that's a real aspect that people who aren't as old as, you know, some of us on this podcast right now are. Um, <laughs> you, if you won't remember, like, I'm 30, <laughs> I'm 36. So I remember when Pac-Man was a household name, and he still is. But his time, like, he's not as big as he used to be. Mm-hmm. Like, Mario sure. has... Like, Mario stayed big. Sonic has ebbed and flowed over the years. You know, there's these icons of the video game market. And there was a time when Pac-Man was, like, maybe the biggest icon. Because this is he was out before Mario was. So there was a time when Pac-Man was, like, maybe the most recognizable uh, video game thing that people would know no he, he really time. he really was and it shows that in the book because it, you, when you think about you know who was the first video game character that was really like commercialized and brought through all different mediums and brands you know mm-hmm. mario is the first that comes to mind but this book really shows that no like pac-man was the first true video game icon you know mm-hmm. like he was you know he was halloween costumes he was on spaghetti cans he was in car commercials like there's like all this ridiculous stuff in here it, it just really it shows it shows that he changed contemporary culture i think there's really yeah. no better testament to that than the fact that growing up my mom who knows nothing about video games my grandparents who know nothing about video games not only do they all know about pac-man but they all love pac-man they have a little plug and play thing Pac-Man, for yeah. pac-man <laughs> for their tv that they've been playing non-stop for as long as i've been alive basically my dudes i have to tell you my dad has a literal two-player pac-man arcade machine he was that oh, obsessed with so it. Wow. yeah my parents do like, in the basement too yeah he's got like the yeah like again if you've like if if you're of a certain age you won't even know what i'm talking about but there used to be these like like control panels where you'd sit on either side and the TV would be like a table below you. And mm-hmm. you, yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> that's the one and, we have. Yeah. Yeah. That's what my dad has. And it's it's wild because it's like, it's weird to be so old <laughs> to be like, I don't even know how to explain this to you people. Like in terms of like, <laughs> like how would I explain this to my kids? That's how I would explain it to my, like, okay, imagine, you know, you know, we're sitting at this table. Imagine if there was a TV in the table. And the yeah. controls were under the table. Like it's like yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a tabletop. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's weird. It's weird to be so old. I mean, it sounds like a completely foreign <laughs> language or foreign culture you're describing here. Exactly. I, I can't That's barely imagine that. <laughs> and it's like people used used to people used to not only play these, they used to pay for the privilege for hours. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's so funny. It's very true. There's one there's one thing about this book that kind of bothered me, but honestly, like just everything else outweighs this negative, and it's that um, it really is about it's called Birth of an Icon, and that's quite literal. This book does not touch upon Pac-Man's like later history, and it's a shame because it never goes over like the Pac-Man World Games or um, Championship or even like 99 isn't even featured here. There is like a, a gameology section they call it where they list every single Pac-Man release there's ever been, but outside of that, it really is just about the original Pac-Man game. It's not about any of really there. There are like the Pac-Man. It was anything that was in the arcade. Basically, just keep it at that. Mm. Which so is no, fine no pac, because no, no, pa- still... no Pac-Man world here. No and Pac-Man. What world. you're saying is they're not even going to cover the absolute masterpiece that is <laughs> I know you're Pac-Man and it. the Ghostly Adventures <laughs> on the Nintendo Wii U. Oh my what God. was the Super Nintendo one where it was like the first? It was like an RPG almost. Like Pac-Man's like walking around talking. Isn't that just Pac-Man Two? That was actually yeah, that was Pac-Man Two. That was actually way that, before Super Nintendo. That game, there was no, there was a Super Nintendo game that I remember playing a lot of. At least I thought it was Super Nintendo. I could be wrong. I know Pac-Man but Two was on like, Super Nintendo. Yeah, so. I remember there's a game where you just where you're walking around as Pac-Man, and t- Pac-Man talks. And you talk to people and like do you're like doing quests and stuff and it's like this is so weird. <laughs> That's yeah. very very strange time. Very strange. So time. so to bring it back to Mark, you were saying uh, this game this book does not deal with that. <laughs> it does not. It has like artwork and stuff. What's really I find it really funny, but since this is like the American print version, but the uh, the stuff for Pac Man ninety nine that it shows in the gameology section because there is some artwork from some of the games. It's actually like the Japanese advertisement for it, and it has an, it even has like the Nintendo Switch Online um, logo in the corner. Like it's just funny to know that this book was supposed to come out so much earlier, but because of COVID, it just kept getting delayed. And now it's like certain things that are mentioned at the end of this book are actually like out now. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> but the the book's quality, like it's if you want to know more about Pac Man and are you you know you're just looking for like a history piece, or if you love Pac Man and just want like a coffee table book, something nice on the shelf, this is it. Like, this is worth every single penny, and you will find new information. Even, even if you're, like, a Pac-Man enthusiast and you know everything about him, this book is going to provide a ton of new stuff. It's just great. Everything about much, it. Do you know how much... Did it, I read your article, but it didn't mention... Do you know how much the price is for this thing? Yes. So, depending on your retailer, I believe that the standard edition is $40, and the collector's edition goes between 80 and 100 except the collector's edition comes with like a special slipcase uh, a vinyl record of Pac-Man Fever which is on like a special <laughs> yellow vinyl which is awesome <laughs> I, which I like really... we should we should we should talk about like everyone pause this podcast right now and go listen to Pac-Man Fever because yeah, that yeah. song is insane <laughs> <laughs> I, I really wish they sent me the collector's edition because it also comes with like a Pac-Man token that looks so I mean, awesome and just just the whole presentation of it. like these are people who clearly love and appreciate pac-man and you could tell that they really like even i love before they include iwatani's book which is only like 20 pages before they even go into it they're like we wanted to make sure that this was iwatani's book and it's been translated word for word they didn't make any like corrections or changes or change his stylization to match like more of like an american textual format like no they just straight up took his book, made it in English, and said, this is it. 
Like, they really cared that you would get, like, the definitive experience out of this. That's awesome. Um, I don't know, Mark, any, anything else you want to kind of mention about this book? It's You do a great write-up on it and explain, like, you know, why it's interesting. It, it, it looks beautiful. If you're a fan of Pac-Man, it does seem like a like a must-read. But anything else you want to kind of say to, to, to wrap it up there? Yeah. I mean, I read a ton of books, and I just have to say the pay, like the printing quality of this book is just like unreal. Like I don't even I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about though as a as a fellow book lover when you pick up something, when you pick up a book that is clearly not only made with love but produced with quality materials, high quality images, those like thick yet glossy pages, you know, mm-hmm. there's just a beauty to that in holding mm-hmm. something so well made. Well, there you go. So make sure you check well, out uh, Mark's write-up about But before this. we go... Oh, please, go ahead. We mentioned the last segment. Remember, <laughs> I have one oh pack pun one that we have to pun. do in here. Mm-hmm. You know, in the meantime, in the interim, while Mark was describing the book, I was searching deep within my soul to find a pack pun that would adequately build up to the hype that has doubtlessly been building <laughs> since we agreed to do the pun. And really, I just couldn't come up with something that that would really live up to the moment. So I think it's about time that I just pack it up and talk about something Here's different. the same oh one, God. God. <laughs> No, what I was going to say, what I was going to say is like, you might say he's been packing this one in or something, you know, but that's literally, yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. That's what I mean. Uh, I couldn't so, come up with anything better, you know? So, I, so you use the same one. One Let's, might say oh. that the blocks didn't fall into place in just let's, the light, right way. <laughs> let's, let's, just make, let's just make a pact. <laughs> To never do this again. <laughs> there we go. I'm there feeling a bit ghostly after that one. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. Rude before. Bastard. Before. This, I'm stuck in this, a maze of puns. It's all happening. <laughs> uh, let's let's call it there for our discussion of this great sounding Pac-Man Birth of an Icon book. We're gonna take a, one last quick break. We're gonna come back and talk about Tetris Effect, which was newly released on the Switch. So stay tuned, and we shall return. We're back. Uh, Campbell, you've been feeling the effects of Tetris Effect. Why don't you take it away? It's never been as cool to be square as it has been to play Tetris Effect. And really, no game has ever made me feel simultaneously so relaxed and meditative and at the same time filled with white-knuckled panic as much as Tetris Effect has. It's accurate. So we were talking about this right before we started recording. The Tetris Effect came out a few years ago. It just came out on Switch. But when it first released, it got tons of critical acclaim. It was you know, lauded with plenty of Game of the Year awards or nominations, awards in so many respects. And it's funny to think about that because from a sheer mechanical perspective, Tetris Effect is Tetris just as you've played it thousands of times before. There are a few mechanical changes here and there, but it's the same core gameplay. What really makes it different is the fact that it it really doubles down on the experience 
of Tetris. It turns this this flow of creating these even lines, of clearing them out, of creating these beautiful even spaces that sometimes, you know, sometimes they get a little messy, they get a little hectic, but it all stacks up in the end eventually. It doubles down on that experience with this beautiful presentation. The graphics are stunning. The it, every every level, every stage, it's transposed against this like surrealist background filled with thousands of particle effects melding into these metaphysical images there's like dolphins in the background or there's people there's gods there's so many different scenarios happening while you're working through these puzzles and it's also played against this wonderful soundtrack that's packed with variety from these synth pop ballads these anthems these sometimes ambient like folk songs or just spacey chords it really makes it feel like an experience a meditative almost like spiritual experience when you get into it with each line that you clear the blocks just evaporate into tons of particles and they like sometimes they'll like wave away out into the background and formulate into different shapes and it all goes against with with this music that's building along with it the experience just keeps building and building to the point where sometimes you're you're playing through a specific level in a journey mode which is all about uh uh, taking you through a series of single-player levels where you just have to, you know, complete 30 rows, complete 50 rows, or if you're playing in a traditional endless mode, the flow just keeps going. It keeps hooking you back in, and it's this element of presentation on top of it that takes the, the rock-solid core gameplay and elevates it to a new level. And alongside that, it does have some new mechanics in there. There's a, a mechanic called Zone, which basically just stops time and lets you... Uh, drop down drop down blocks or shapes without worrying about them falling down too quickly and lets you clear as many lines as you want within a given time frame it really all boils down to it i don't want to say metaphysical sensation of playing through it but it really is unlike anything else it's perhaps ironic for a game that's all about these clean isometric isometric shapes to feel the way it does as you're going through it it does get stressful when you have as in any other Tetris game before, you have these blocks stacking up and you don't know how you're going to clear out enough lines before they hit the top, but it's so addictive that way. And the best part of it all is that it's been translated beautifully to the Switch. I was really concerned when the game was first announced for Switch that it wouldn't be be as beautiful as it is on other platforms because as simple as Tetris may be, there's a lot going on graphically with this game. There are a lot of particle effects or a lot of cool visual touches happening with it, but it runs at a rock solid frame rate. The resolution is sharp. And I was playing this on a launch year switch model, but I can only imagine how beautiful it is on an OLED model with a new screen as well. And that's not to mention some switch specific touches they added to it. So just HD rumble with every row that you clear, oh. every special effect going on. You can feel a rumble like going up and down the joy cons, depending on the direction of those particle effects, or you can feel a light rumble every time you lay a block down. It's really neat. It's pretty subtle, but once you notice it, it just, it, again, it, it, it contributes to that full-on sensation of going through it. So really, you know, whether you've played it before on PS4 or Xbox and you want to play it portably, or if you've never had a chance to play it on other platforms, Tetris Effect is a fantastic game, and it's been wonderfully, wonderfully ported over to Switch. 
or if you just want to support the developer because these guys deserve to make more. Also Steam, that. I'll say it's fantastic, and I plan on buying it again in the future for Switch just to have it portably. But it's just incredible that such a small team made something so just visually magnificent. Yeah, it's really revolutionary that they could do so much with such a simple formula like this. But like you say, it's a, a purely magnificent thing to behold. It's one thing to watch gameplay of it, and there are plenty of videos of gameplay of it. There's, and They're pretty popular as well. I've seen many with millions and millions of views because it's a beautiful game to look at. But once you actually have it in your hands, and you're playing it, and you have headphones on, and you're just immersed in it, there's really nothing else like it. it it's wonderful. Every time so I play it, Campbell, I feel like I'm in that scene from Avatar The Last Airbender where he's walking towards um, his avatar, unlocking his final chakra with like, the space background. <laughs> That's exactly what it is, though. Just it feels like lightning. Especially with, you know, it feels odd to warn about spoilers in a Tetris game, but the final level of the, the single-player journey mode is just like that. So How it keeps building up. It's brutal, because you have to clear out 90, 90 rows in a single mm -hmm. level, but as it keeps building, the music keeps growing along with each landmark that you get through, and by mm -hmm. the time that you're in the final stretch of it, it's just, it's unlike anything else. It's a feeling of freedom, of joy as you're going through it. The, <laughs> the music is amazing, the visuals along with it, similarly fantastic. What's your favorite level so far? Oh man, it, it's gotta be that last one. I also really like the downtown themed level mm -hmm. as well. That one's really good. It is really cool. They're they're all amazing. Although I've also I really love the the snow mountain. Oh that yeah, one that was, was so really good. cool. Yeah, uh, Mike, what were you what were you gonna no, say? Sorry, we're trying to break in there. This just sounds really, really, really interesting. Like I remember when this game came out a couple of years ago, and everybody was like, kind of gushing about how great it is. And then I saw I like clicked on it out of curiosity i was like 50 dollars are you out of your minds i'm not paying 50 dollars for tetris but <laughs> i don't know if that's still the price but now that you know now like hearing you guys just you know talk and talk and talk about how great it is and like how, i mean am i am i reading this conversation right and that it's sort of it's almost like a weird mood piece Tetris. Oh, that's absolutely <laughs> what absolutely. it is. Or like a tone poem of Tetris or it's something? It's so much of a tone poem. Sometimes literally because the music is so evocative and conveying certain emotions along with it. Feelings of freedom, love, sometimes a little more sedated, a little more serious. Sometimes instrumental, sometimes lyrics. Like, there is a campaign. Like, yeah. Okay, see, that's, so that's why I was like, I was like, $50 to play Tetris? And it was like, well, there's lots of colors and stuff, and, and like stuff happens in the background. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not paying fifty dollars for Tetris because like stuff's happening in the background. I'm, I'm this one, yeah, but it's really cool penny. stuff happening. No, no, in the I, I, I didn't understand. Like, it's I, I'm glad I'm here to hear like um, what like what that experience is because I remember when this game came out and just being like, wait, people are paying fifty dollars for Tetris in like 2018. Why? Like, what's happening? <laughs> you guys know this game's free on your phone, right? Like, <laughs> and also not for a your, good version, and also free on your Switch. You know, so like, just yeah, if, if you have, that. if you're, um, if you have the Nintendo thing for twenty five bucks a year or whatever. Anyway, it's good to know. The I'm the the main question I had listening to you guys talk though um, was the you mentioned a bunch of music. Is the music yes. all? Is it licensed or is it like? Oh no, it's fully original. For the wow. game. Yeah. Yeah. It's all really that, good. So you're talking about all these different genres of music 
And yes. all of that is was made exclusively for this game. Yes, and not only that, but you can really tell that it was made, tailor-made for this game when you're playing it, because not only are the songs original, but the 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 gameplay itself ties into the music. In certain levels, oh yeah, when you lay down a block, it'll be like a piano chord, or in some levels, it'll be drums going along with it. And those sounds are tuned to perfectly harmonize with the music that's playing in the background. So you are, Dude. in a way, making your own songs as you're, you're playing. You're selling it. me so hard. <laughs> have, have you played Sayonara Wild Hearts? Oh, oh, man, I've not, no. Dude, you should play that game, Campbell. You would love it. I, I know, say, I know. I was going to ask if you get that kick from this game. Because Sayonara Wild Hearts, there's been rhythm games before, and there's been lots of them. But Sayonara yeah. Wild Hearts is the one where I feel like I've never seen a game so closely synchronized to the music. Where, like, the punch of the bass comes into a song, and your character kicks the, like, um, kickstand off the motorcycle, and, like... Stuff like that. I was going to ask if it had that kind of like... Obviously, it's Tetris, so it's not going to be that cinematic, but I'm just... It actually... I'll, it I'll actually say is kind of cinematic, though. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It has nice. a dynamic, like a like a very dynamic evolution. So like the, um, you know, the level that Campbell mentioned before, the city... What is it called? Downtown? Is that what it's called, Campbell? Yeah, I think so, yeah. So downtown, it's actually like the beat of the music is basically like the piano. So, like, as you drop more blocks, every single drop is a beat. And then eventually it just unfolds into, like, this massive, like, symphony. There's another that notable is. example of that where it's a level set in, like, some sort of, I, I think it's like a Middle Eastern market, maybe. But mm -hmm. um, each block that you lay down, it sounds like, I don't, I don't know the exact instrument, but some sort of, like, stringed instrument plays a chord every time you lay down a block. And then as you keep doing that, that that's that chord will then progress to like a drum beat. And sometimes there'll be vocals added into that. And sometimes when you clear a line, there will be cheers of people every time you clear a line, right? So it keeps building up along with that. And then the more rows you clear as say, you know, maybe you need to clear 30 rows to finish the level. At around 15 rows, the music will change. You'll have more vocals added into it. You'll have like symphonic strings in the backdrop as it's building in intensity. There are other levels where you'll literally feel a like a bass drop building up. And then once that drop hits, the blocks start coming down way faster. The music is getting more intense. It really is building to a climax. Uh, in many of these levels and that's that really makes the experience feel so much more cinematic and intense i i, I do i have a dumb question for you campbell mm -hmm. uh tetris is tetris effect the same thing as tetris effect connected that's what i was just gonna ask i'm okay I'm good adding it to okay. my wish list i'm adding it to my playstation wish list as we speak <laughs> i'll i'll answer okay. this for you actually cameron only because i've been here since the game i literally bought the game week one and the original PlayStation 4 version, I should say, Tetris sure, Effect sure. Connected was a free update that added multiplayer to it. Got it. Got it. Which is so why if, it's called if, Connected. If, uh, and the Connected so modes are, are fantastic. I'll, I'll just oh, add good. that. So if people are listening to this right now, you can, you can hop on your Switch, you can hop on the eShop, and if you look up Tetris Effect and you see Tetris Effect Connected, it's the same game. Yes. yes it, it is. Has, yep, it's the most updated yeah. version. It has the base Tetris Effect experience along with a surprising amount of really fantastic multiplayer modes, um, oh. which... They're not exactly like Tetris 99, uh, but they are kind of similar. There's one that's based on like Tetris Attack, uh, that's really that's really fun. But the 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 mode that I found the most enjoyment with was uh, 
I think it's actually the namesake of the mode Tetris Effect Connected, uh, where you you team up with two other players, and you're working together to face these AI-controlled bosses, they're called, which are essentially just another row of blocks coming down. And every time you or one of your teammates clear a row, that row is sent over to the AI, and your goal is to get it to you know fill up the rows to the top and defeat that player. Um, but as you're working along together, it again ties into the music where once you all hit a certain a certain amount of rows cleared, it will you will feel a bass drop start to build up, and then once that drop hits, your three your three screens will merge together, and you're all playing on the same the same screen. You're all working with the same rows, so yeah, then you're really just an enormous board. exactly. It's an enormous board, and you have you're. It really focuses on your teamwork there, and you all have to coordinate. You have to make the most of your time to get get those rows to translate over. It's really, it adds a wonderful level of strategy to that kind of experience. I will say that I have had some issues with getting into online matches. I don't know if that's because the game just released, or um, I believe it does have crossplay enabled, but uh, it t- did take me a long time for the most part to find find a lobby or find other people to play with. But whenever I did, the connection was solid and the modes are just a joy to play through. And they're a wonderful complement to the already fantastic base experience of the single player Tetris effect. Amazing. Uh, man, it's, it sounds very good. So, obviously, uh, this game's out on Switch now. I, I appreciate that you mentioned that it's the, the performance was holding, because I remember seeing ads for this and being like, I don't know, this game looks very visually intensive, I don't know if the Switch can handle it, but it sounds like there hasn't been an issue at all. Not in the slightest. I mean, I will say the, the only thing I've noticed is that, you know... Well, well. Aside from the online connection issues, I don't know if that's an issue with other platforms or not. Um, but I've had that. A I few times honestly cannot comment. On awesome. That. Yeah, I had it happen a few times where either I couldn't get into a into a game with anybody. It actually crashed the game once when I was trying to do online, which was unfortunate. But again, not a deal breaker. When you're in the actual gameplay itself performance is rock solid the visuals look great maybe some of the textures if you really like squint and look really close the textures are a little less detailed than they may be on more powerful hardware but like it's tetris why would you be staring at it that close anyway and it wouldn't bother (laughs) it shouldn't bother you really um what really matters is that the colors are vibrant the performance is rock solid all those individual little particles that dance in the background those are just as vivid just as vibrant as you as they ever have been it's a wonderful translation and i especially appreciate like i mentioned earlier the hd rumble they added in we don't have a lot of developers really taking full advantage of hd rumble on switch so it's always a delight to see developers really hone in on that that special functionality Sorry, on that note, on that note, I have to mention in Metroid Dread that every time you run into a wall, there's a tiny little rumble that goes through your controller. <laughs> yep. And that's, yep. that's it's worth nice, mentioning. That's a nice little touch. They 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 really did go into the HD rumble functionality. I mean, obviously, it's a first first second for or first slash second party game, but very very cool. Like like every time at first when I was playing it, I was like, "Am I doing something wrong?" Or was like, is there a secret here? Is that why it keeps rumbling? And then I just ran into a couple walls on purpose, and I was like, oh, that just happens when you run into walls in this game. Okay, cool. Take full advantage of the hardware. 
Man, somebody's got to. Whether that's Metroid Dread or Tetris Effect, like I think it's always special when uh, devs go the extra mile to, to really take advantage of the, the system's functionality. Uh, and it sounds like they, they definitely go on a, uh, go out to, uh, the, to great lengths to make that work on the Switch, and I think that's very cool. Uh, Campbell, anything else we got to say about Tetris Effect before we wrap it here? You're, just, gonna, you're writing, you're writing a, a little piece on it uh, to be up on the website soon? Absolutely, yeah. I've got a review slash impressions piece written up. It should be, should be up on the site by the time this show goes live. And I'll just say that uh, with Tetris Effect on Switch, I'll say that this has definitively established the Switch as the, the console to be on if you want to play Tetris. It is the best console wow. to have that because you have not only Tetris Effect, which is a brilliant translation of the core Tetris gameplay, but you also have crossovers like Puyo Puyo Tetris, which I know Mark is a, a bit so of a fan good. of. I yes. loved Puyo Puyo Tetris. And not only that, but we also have Tetris 99, which is incredible and a bit like Tetris Effect when it speeds up. It is so intense. Really get your adrenaline pumping. It is You get the full spectrum of the sp- of the Tetris potential with with Switch now. So if you enjoy these kinds of, you know, tile-matching puzzle games, you owe it to yourself to not only be on Switch, but specifically pick up Tetris Effect as well. Great port, great game, support the devs. There you go. I love it. Uh, I think with that, it's probably a good place to, to, to wrap the show here. Uh, I've been your host, Cameron Daxon. You can find me over on Twitter, at Action Daxon, and some of my writing is over on Goombastomp.com. Uh, recently wrote a review for an indie game called Subdivision Infinity DX, which was a PlayStation game which I played. Uh, I thought it was just all right. <laughs> Mark, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Find me at the Mark Helm. That, of course, is Mark with the C, Cal with the K. And right now on Goombastomp.com, you can find my review for Pac-Man Birth of an Icon. Uh, soon I will have a review for Hideo Kojima's The Creative Gene from Viz Media. I could say it's really good so far. The book, not quite done with it, but you'll hear about it soon. Uh, if you want to check out my review for Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl, which we'll talk about next week, don't get that game. Go read the review. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep it at that. Horrible title. And yeah, that's, that's what I got for now. Excellent. And Campbell, what about yourself? You can find all my games writing over at Goombastomp.com. Um, I have an indie game spotlight coming out this weekend. Stay tuned for that. And I should also, like I mentioned, I should have a review of Tetris Effect Connected on Switch up in the very near future. If you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter at CampbellSKill, uppercase CSG. Gotta have the, that capitalization in. Don't forget the capitalization. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, anything you want to shout out? Any social media or articles you've written? Obviously, your your review of Metroid Dread is up on Goomba Stomp. Yeah, naturally. The, yeah, my Metroid Dread review is up on there. Um, Cameron, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt, but Matt, I got to ask, is your is your name on Twitter, is your, is your name making fun of that uh, Lights Camera Jackson guy? Uh, it's not, but... Uh, okay, just curious. Because I know you're an old person like me. I was just wondering if you were making fun of that. <laughs> uh, okay, it's, it's fine, it's fine. For those of you who don't know, there was there was like this kid who was like featured on the Roger Ebert show a long time ago. And if you don't know who Roger Ebert is, then I don't even know why I'm talking. But he was like a little kid <laughs> reviewer of movies. And then he got like a big head and started his own website and became Lights Camera Jackson. And he was like insufferable he's still around you can find him on twitter don't criticize him or he'll block you <laughs> he's like insufferable. Wow. anyway 
That's but what, really, but what about you? Let's talk about yeah, that's you. That's really sorry. Sorry, this isn't this, this isn't about my personal war with um, Lights Camera Jackson or whatever. But I just had to ask because of that. That I love your Twitter handle. Um, as oh, thank for you. me myself, I am Gameskeeper Mike on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else. Um, and yeah, I write for Guma Stomp, Cultured Vultures, uh, the Guma Stomp uh, sister site Tilt, and I do other stuff too. I wrote a screenplay recently. I can't. I can't talk about it. Oh but, boy! You know, I'm, do, I'm doing other kinds of. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm just a writer at heart, and I'm Hell happy yeah. for anybody to be uh, reading my writing. As I'm sure that's why we all came to the site in the first place. And I just question, Mike. Quick question: Are you really yes. the gameskeeper if I became the games editor? Whoa! <laughs> no, it's actually it's really funny. People, I'm changing this, my handle. There was this, no, there was literally there was this Twitter. Um, there was this Twitter trend recently where people are like searching their Twitter handle on Google and seeing if pictures of them pop up or not. Oh, just... And I tried, I tried searching mine, and there's literally a famous person who was called Gameskeeper Mike. <laughs> and I'm like, I picked the wrong Twitter handle. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Well, we, like we like appreciate a, he's like you. A, he's like a British gentleman, and he's a literal like gameskeeper in like the fields of Scotland or something. I don't know. <laughs> and I was like, I, I absolutely picked the wrong fucking Twitter handle. Can't, can't, can't compete with that. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. What a blast. Uh, everybody read Mike's review of Metro Dread. It's very good. Uh, and uh, of course, N Express. You can find us over on all your favorite podcast platforms of choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbeat, you know, all of them. Uh, make sure you rate and review us. And, of course, we are on YouTube as well. We are at an Express Nintendo Podcast. And we are on Twitter, too, at an Express Nintendo. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. 